Hello and welcome to the Inside Elland Road podcast, episode 85 from the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Graham Smith and I'm joined by Joe Arcott from our separate homes in separate cities in order to discuss all things Leeds United and give you something to listen to during a time when there is no football to watch. Joe, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you coping with the lockdown? Um, okay, so far, what are we, day 13 without football? Um, so I've not had any massive meltdown yet, but I feel like maybe it might come in the next month if, if no football is seen, which is, is very unlikely. So uh, all I'll say is that there's probably an impending meltdown coming at some point. Do you miss football more than you miss your civil liberties? Um, probably. I think I do because so much, so much of our life is wrapped up in Leeds United and and football because of the jobs that we do. That I miss it terribly, um, and I, I genuinely think that a lot of football fans who initially felt, you know, disconsolate because they had no football to watch, have probably realised that actually, whilst they miss it, there are a lot more important things. Um, whereas you and I, whilst we recognise that there are more important things, we're also forced to think about football constantly in order to come up with content ideas and fill newspapers and websites when there's no football. Um, it's almost like we're being forced to miss it all the time. Yeah, I think I saw a, I saw a social media post as well the other day from someone who said, like, I'll never take a Super Sunday with Brighton v Bournemouth for granted again. And it is so true. It's one of those things where people say, oh, you know, think of the party we're going to have when this is all over. Um, and, and it is true that you won't be able to get a, a, a restaurant uh, reservation probably for weeks on end when uh, the restrictions are finally relaxed and the pandemic's under control. Um, but you will have people watching all kinds of football, any kind of football, all of the time, just to, to pig out on football. It's like, I suppose, when people finish a, a fast and quite ill-advisedly then go to Pizza Hut for an all-you-can-eat lunch. Um, it's going to be like that. I'm going to have an all-you-can-eat buffet of football from whatever level. I did find myself on YouTube the other day watching goals from past League United seasons. And I don't even know what seasons I'm watching. I just remember watching Becchio scoring lots of goals. But it was just to fill the boredom. I find myself watching two minutes of Ali McCoy celebrating goals against Celtic. Not scoring them, just celebrating them. <laughs> I think that's about as low as I've, I've gone so far. Um, I thought this week, obviously we'll get the latest news out of the way first, but then, then we'll move on to a more thematic approach. So it's not just us rambling about the lockdown and coronavirus. But uh, the news has emerged today that Leeds United have indeed taken a wage deferral. Players, coaching staff and senior management have voluntarily deferred a lot of their wages um, until a time when it is appropriate, I suppose, for the club to pay it. It will safeguard the employment of hundreds of Leeds United FC employees um, so they can still have full pay. Um, And it's a great gesture. Yeah, I think so. I think... um... Football, I think footballers mainly on the whole will recognise the, the privileged position that they're in. And, you know, if they can 
save the jobs of people around them. Um, I'm sure I think like many of us would would understandably do whatever it takes to help out. So um, I think across the game, we're going to see a lot of this over the next month or so. Um, I just think Leeds, have, as Leeds and Birmingham, I suppose, are the first two in the championship. Hearts, obviously, north of the border went a couple of weeks ago. But I think we're even probably going to see a lot of Premier League teams doing it as well. So, yeah, a good gesture from, from the Leeds United players um, and probably a, a wider picture of how important times are for everyone and, and the, the community feel that, that is going to be needed in the next few months to get through this. What I really liked about the press release was that it contained swearing from Victor Order that, <laughs> that we can just stick on our website willy-nilly. Um, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, I, uh, we, I've heard from Liam Cooper to say you know what he's doing during this time and we've had that in the YEP and we're hoping to hear from Jack Harrison pretty soon as well. Um, Luke Ayling did a, a Q&A with fans last night. Some terrific answers. Um, he's very, very entertaining, is, uh, is Luke Ayling. Very honest as well. Um, and what I really liked was how twice, not once but twice, he threw a snide comment in, in the direction of Tyler Roberts' goal against Hull. Uh, twice he, he said that he was baffled that people were putting it up there with his goal against Huddersfield. Uh, I really, really liked that. Didn't so much like all the chat about how much hair he's got on his head because obviously, you know, that, that stings when when it's uh, something that you struggle with personally. But um, on the whole, a very, very entertaining Q&A. I've also passed the time by beginning to read Tim Rich's new book, The Quality of Madness, A Life of Marcelo Bielsa. Um, you haven't got a copy yet, have you, Joe? No, I've got a copy of Ups and Downs though from uh, James Willoughby. Um, so I thought, well, he sent me that a while ago, so I'll have to get going with that and maybe try and do a, a review. Yeah, there are there are very few excuses now for not reading the books that uh, that you haven't read yet. Um, I started this one by Tim Rich last night. Thoroughly enjoying it. It's it's a, it's a great introduction actually to the background of Bielsa, his family, and and the context of maybe partly why he is the way he is and, and what's sculpted him and his decision-making. and um, Some great, great insight and detail and stories so far. Um, he's just kind of, I've got to a point where he's begun his career in management. He's had some early success and had some uh, not so good times and then recovered from them again. But it it's interesting seeing some of the early quotes and things that he said and anecdotes from players that you recognise the same kind of attitude uh, that we've seen from him at Leeds United. So I'm quite excited actually to get to the part in the book where he goes to Leeds and see what detail Tim has managed to, to pull out. Um, but I could I would recommend it on the first 70 odd pages alone, uh, particularly during a time when everyone has so much time on their hands. So if you're not doing a pub quiz on Zoom tonight, then uh, I would recommend you get on Amazon um, or wherever you get your books from and, uh, and order that one. <clears throat> just clear my throat there. That's not, not an indicative of anything else. Um, just a, a quick roundup of social media news from Leeds United. Uh, Matthias Click is playing games. Jack Harrison has a girlfriend. Uh, Patrick Bamford has a dog that he plays keepy-uppy with. Ben White tried to play keepy-uppy with his dog and had to apologise to one of his dogs for kicking a ball at its head. Um, 
Oh, and Jean-Kevin Augustin just posted a couple of seconds of him lying in bed. Um, so that, I think, brings you up to date with all the latest news from Ellen Road. Um, have you noticed, Joe, that footballers are, are taking the opportunity to post lots of pictures and videos of themselves playing football? Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? But mind you, maybe it's just because, as we've just talked about, the collective missing of, of sport in the game. Um, maybe that's it. But they all seem to be doing these weird challenges, don't they? Like challenging each other. And then, you know, the first is the toilet roll one, and then it's like the game face challenge or something. They're all, how, like, how far is this going to go? That's what I want to know. Like, yeah. Who- um, Joe Lolly at Forest, wasn't it? Was it Joe Lolly who started it, or was it someone else? Launched a thing over his house. It was absolutely mental. I think it was from Partridge. But like, how how far is this going to go? Like, how mental is it going to get? That's what I want to see. I don't think it wasn't it from the office. Throwing oh, is it? There's the whole throwing a camera oh, yes, yes, thing, sorry. wasn't it? Um, yeah, I I think maybe in six or seven weeks we'll be seeing the uh, defensive throw-in challenge and just pictures of players taking throw-ins in their own defensive third of the field. Um, Maybe we'll, we'll see the ailing flop challenge and just people going up to like inanimate objects and flopping. Flopping at the nearest sign of contact. Um, <laughs> disappointed, really, that, that Leeds fans sent in 35 or so questions for Luke Ailing and the flop wasn't a uh, topic of conversation. Yeah, but well, wasn't he asked about it? Was he asked about it? Um, a few weeks ago or have I just completely made that up I think that was a dream you had yeah probably maybe it was because I, I sat and watched um, whoever edited it, all of them together from this season on Twitter on repeat for a few hours just because of <laughs> to do. <laughs> just to make you feel a bit better what, what, <laughs> I, w- what I wouldn't give to see a Luke Ayling flop in the flesh right now um, it doesn't feel like a Saturday afternoon without one at the moment does it no or a, or a Tuesday night really <laughs> Um, another thing that you've seen a lot of on Twitter is people posting lists of their favourite things, favourite movies, um, favourite pubs, favourite cricketers and favourite footballers. And I thought that might be a nice place for us to start a more thematic approach to the Inside Elland Road podcast to give it less of a rambling feel. Um, so when you see those things, when you're tagged in those things, Joe, who are the footballers who spring to mind as your your favourites? Um, well, obviously, um, having had a strong association with Leeds United, there is a number of Leeds United players that, that immediately jump out. Um, I think I think I should probably preface this with the fact that obviously I'm just probably after the, the champion era in terms of growing up. So my team that I will have um, sort of seen the most success from is probably the League One promotion winning team because um, obviously we watched the, the Liverpool Leeds game back the 4-3 Mark Viduca game and I would have been eight when that happened I mean I did have a season to get Ellen Road at that point but I mean memories sort of real clear memories from that team are sort of quite hazy um, but I would go for one of those and I'd say Lee Bowyer is my first one for sure. Um, he was sort of my first, I guess, I used to have him on the back of my shirts. Um, I idolised him, used to pretend, you know, in the back garden when I was rifling him into the top corner. Not very often, but, you know. Um, and he was someone that I would always look up to and very loosely based my Sunday league career on him as well, I think. Did you ever two-foot someone pretending to be Bowyer? <laughs> Uh, many times. I think the best time was um, 
my dad took me down to Roundy Park just to do like a Brazilian soccer school. Um, I forget. I think it was a Saturday morning. Was that with actual Brazilians? It wasn't the time that Garfield <laughs> signed all those Brazilian players, was it? No, but it was something to do with that. It was like some branching out of, you know, some like weird money-making thing where they used to have coaches and it'd be like size five footballs and small goals. And it'd be all about like tiki-taka stepovers and all this stuff. So my dad took me down and obviously I was in, like they all had their kit on and I, I went down for my first training session, had my Bowie shirt on and two-footed someone from behind. And, and I think that was it. Like, I never went back after that because, you know, we don't do that over here, that kind of crap. We just, you know, two foot everyone. But that's that's what that team and that's what, you know, following Lee Bowyer sort of, you know, made me want to be. But it's kind of weird how, looking back, how much you do sort of idolise those players and that's what you sort of end up trying to be on the football pitch. Not in a nasty way because it's all that, that whole thing of kicking everyone, but then at the end of the day, you know, shake their hands and walk off. But it was very much... Lee Bowie was very much a, a key figure in, in my footballing, limited footballing Sunday league career, for sure. He was someone who I definitely wanted to emulate and someone that I would, you know, always have, you know, sticker books of, you know, you know when, when Lee's in the Premier League, swapping stickers in the playground at school, you know, trying to get your, your Leeds United team and, and squad in full. Lee Bowie would always be the, the shiny gold star or whatever you want to call it. He could play a bit as well, couldn't he? Absolutely, yeah. But unfortunately, I couldn't. So that's where my limitations ended. <laughs> so you emulated part of his game. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, I don't think I ever managed to emulate any part of any player's game in my twelfth uh, Bangor Boys Brigade uh, junior football career. Um, I did, however, wear the shirt and the socks that Keith Gillespie wore uh, a couple of years previous. He was uh, in the from the same Boys Brigade. So obviously a real talent pool, um, that particular <laughs> that particular boys brigade. Um, I don't think it produced another professional footballer uh, other than Keith. Um, did you ever meet any of your uh, your boyhood heroes? Um, well, we've obviously had um, Lee Bowie's press conference at Charlton this year, which I sat at the back of and just stayed out of the way, mainly because in, in fear of what I might do if I was sat in the front row. Um, but I guess the next one after that is, like I said a bit earlier, about the, the League One promotion winning side. And sort of similarly, a midfielder, um, you obviously had, you know, the likes of Becchio, Beckford, Max Grail, Robert Snodgrass. But someone who I always sort of looked at because he was a local lad was Johnny Housen. And some of the goals he scored for Leeds um, of vital importance and the way he drove on from midfield, that team under Grayson. Um, he was certainly someone who... Um, I always sort of because I think you know as a teenager um, watching Leeds on the terraces in those League One days, it's quite easy to sort of try and associate someone with you know who you tried, who you would love to have been at that time, you know from Leeds driving Leeds on to promotion, that kind of thing. And we got to um, go to the Centenary dinner, so I interviewed Johnny Housen there. Thankfully, didn't make um, any weird squeaky noises. Although I did have to scream at him to get him to to come over and <laughs> interview, which I, I think he was a bit startled by. Um, but other than that, yeah, he's he he was very good that night, and it was great to chat to him. And that night, on a whole, going to the Centennial dinner was quite humbling in general. But he was probably my favourite to do, just because, like I say, of of those League One days, um, watching him on and watching you know him score twice at Carlisle in the playoffs, and then um, that goal against Bristol Rose after he came off the bench, very much someone who um, who played a, a big role for Leeds United at the time that you know um, I was I was watching on. 
Yeah, that night they had to erect a um, safety barrier alongside the blue carpet, um, which was not actually to keep autograph hunters at bay. It was to keep you at bay from <laughs> some of your favourites. Um, I noticed on Twitter uh, in some of our discussions that the name Soma came up. Tell me about him. Um, yeah, did, well, you. I'm guessing you won't probably know who Dave, David Sommer is. No, not really. No, yeah, that's because he only played, I think he only made 12 starts for Leeds, which is so weird when you think back um, and why someone like that would make such an impact. But I think it. it I think impact is the right word because he. I think he'd started 12 or 13 and, and, and then sort of had a similar amount of games off the bench and that was it really. He scored 12 goals, I think. Um, 12 league goals anyway at least um, but he was certainly a big impact player and he was someone who um, would always come on and score you know there was I always remember um, he came back from I can't think he was signed him or loan there was one of the two because um, he'd been out at Lincoln and for some reason I have absolutely no idea maybe it's because I had little else to do in my life other than try and follow EG United's loan players I got quite um sort of following him when he was on, on loan at Lincoln, he scored boatloads of goals for them in the lower divisions. And I thought, who is this guy? You know, Leeds have signed him and sent him out on loan. And he came back and I was like, my dad was like, who is this guy that, you know, they've put in the squad, blah, blah, blah. And it was the opening day of the season, I think they were playing Millwall. And I had a bet with my dad about um, the fact that he was going to come on and score the winner. And I said, if he did, you have to pay for him to get, uh, pay for me to get him on the back of my shirt. So I had the blue away kit. I think it was the first season after they'd been promoted from League One. And he came on, came on, I think, 20 minutes to go against Millwall. And literally, his first first or second touch, step over and rifled it into the top corner. I turned to my dad and was like, right, you can get that sorted. <laughs> and then he scored as well. So ever since then, I think, yeah, that was that was the sort of running joke. But he was very much a player that was so unlucky with injuries. Like he could have... Had you know a great career in the game. Unfortunately, I think he had to retire at 27, 28 due to his knee. But yeah, just a player that would always come off the bench and do something. And I think players like that always seem to stick with you. Uh, so yeah, and then he, I think he struggled a lot with the uh, with injuries um, after that. And then you know it was sort of one of those things where he just could not get himself fit. I think there was a few managers because Leeds have had so many that that came in and wanted him in their team, but. He just couldn't get over his knee injury and ended up sort of leaving the club, um, having made a big impact in terms of goals, but just never managed to break in and, and find a consistent form or consistent appearances. But I don't know. I think players like that always seem to stick with you, players that make impacts um, off the bench or, or, you know, little stories that Leeds fans love. Because I'm sure when Leeds fans think of different teams, they'll all have their own little individual players that they have associations with for absolutely no reason other than, you know, the little personal things here and there. Um, because I'm sure a lot of people have, you know, Max Gradle will be one of their players from that era, but for some reason, David Sommer is mine. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Um, it, it reminded me a little bit of Marco Negri at Rangers, who scored, you know, 20, 30 goals before Christmas one season. And, you, you know, you'd be checking the, the results every week. And you'd see that he'd scored another two or another three, and you're thinking like this is this is incredible. I mean, everyone loves a goal scorer, but but you're thinking how many he's going to score fifty goals this season? And then he, if I recall correctly, he injured his eye in a freak squash incident, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure he actually played for the club again. Like I think that was it. Like he might have come back briefly, but then got another injury, and it was like just the greatest shame because he was 
he was absolutely on fire. Um, goal scorers were always my thing. I think. I mean, I like I liked Stuart McCall uh, when I was growing up, but Mark Hately and Ali McCoist were were two of my big favourites. The kind of big man, little man act for Rangers. Um, McCoist would score goals from just from all over, mostly in the box, but he'd score with his head. He'd score chips, volleys, overhead kicks, um, diving headers. He had great service for years um, from the wings for Rangers, but he was class um, as a goal scorer, just unbelievable. And Mark Aitley was great as well, like a big, big part of Walter Smith's success for Rangers. Um, and I remember when when Rangers played Leeds in the uh, the European Cup in what was called the Battle of Britain, that really captivated me because I thought I was maybe 10, I think, and um, maybe 9 or 10. And I just remember like being really captivated by the thought of the best two teams from Britain going head-to-head for kind of the, the British championship, as it were, even though it was just two games. Um, and I still kind of remember the goals from those games. Um, I remember Lukic punching one into his own net. I think Haitley scored, Koisty scored over the two legs. Um, Gary Mack scored, I'm sure it was Gary Mack, scored an unbelievable volley for Leeds. Um, but I absolutely loved that era of football and that Rangers team and McCoist. Um, my other Leeds-related big favourite was David Healy, uh, who I've, I've paid tribute to with my uh, header picture on Twitter. Um, what do you remember of Healy? Um, yeah, I remember him scoring some some important goals for Leeds. Um, definitely... Sort of, he was around the time when Leeds first came down from from the Premier League. I think it was under was it, um, Kevin Blackwell. You know, yeah. Leeds had options like Rob Hulse and Richard Cresswell at that time. Obviously, Cresswell who's just left Leeds um, Academy. Um, but yeah, I remember him scoring. I think he scored ten or eleven goals one season. Um, I think he he left just as Leeds went into League One. But there was the you know, he was someone who, in that sort of dark period after the playoff final defeat, was someone who you could pretty much rely on a lot to score you a goal. Um, probably wasted a little bit by, by players around him, unfortunately. But I imagine um, for Northern Ireland, he's, he's sort of a, a bit of a cult hero. Yeah, not not so much a cult hero, just a, a hero. Just, I think just a genuine um, hero, <laughs> a genuine, an actual, an actual hero. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we were sat in the press box at Ellen Road or in the press room, sorry before Huddersfield and Ian Dowie came and sat next to us. And that was a bit weird for me because I grew up going to Northern Ireland games at Windsor Park and Big Dowie played up front. And for many years, he was our kind of biggest goal threat. But he only scored maybe 12, 13 goals for Northern Ireland in his international career. And that kind of said an awful lot. And I remember, you know, that I'd look at English goal-scoring records like Gary Lineker and you'd think, how did these players score so many goals for their country, you know, obviously blind to the fact at that stage that Northern Ireland weren't very good. Um, and then David Healy came along. And, uh, I mean, for, for Leeds, he got 31 goals in 121 appearances. For Northern Ireland, he got 36 in 95. 36 goals for Northern Ireland, which was just, I mean, he, he, was, he was the talisman. Um, and for a player in the championship, you know, he scored the winner against England, a game that I think we'll all remember um, for the rest of our lives, all of us. Um, one that we'll all cherish. Just an incredible game. Actually, I don't even think it was that good a game. 
Beckham was playing and whatnot. And I remember them all walking off the pitch looking a bit bereft. Neville as well. Um, and Healy had scored this goal. This marginally, possibly offside goal from a Stephen Davis uh, kind of curling through ball. Healy whacked it into the far corner and just sent the entirety of Northern Ireland into pandemonium. But I was in England at the time and I declined the chance to go to the pub to watch that game because I was fearful of a fierce thrashing, uh, which I think happened in the in the return fixture. I think we lost 4-1. But, but that goal made Healy... I mean, that, that one goal alone would have made Healy a hero, but the fact that he scored 35 other ones. He scored a hat-trick against Spain. And it was just... It might have been like the last defeat Spain had for about two years before they went on an absolute tear. It was an unbelievably good Spain team. And David Healy scored three goals against them in a 3-2 win for Northern Ireland while he was a championship player. I mean, it's, it's remarkable when you look back and think that he was playing in the second tier of English football. And yet when he went to... And not always, not, not always regularly as well. And then when he went to international football, he was just... A complete star. Played for range as well, didn't he? He did, yeah. That that wasn't so good. Um, but that must have like given you the whole butterflies in the stomach, get in, sort of. One of my heroes is playing for my football team. Yeah, it, it's one of those where you, you very much welcome him signing. But it was, I want to say, 2010, 2011, when he signed. Um he he just didn't really, never really hit the ground running, um, and and he didn't stay very long either before he then went to Bury. But um, I think his best days had kind of his best club days were at Leeds. There's absolutely no Leeds and Preston. Um, there's no doubt about that. But for Northern Ireland, he was he was sensational, utterly sensational. Um, yeah, I probably play, downplayed his, his time at Leeds a little bit, maybe. But I think he was obviously very important to, to the playoff push the season after Leeds had come down. And he obviously scored, with, uh, with things spiralling out of control, obviously scored a number of goals before the, the relegation to League One. But um, he would be someone that would be great to sort of look back on those days with, I, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. We did try and get him during one of the last international breaks, but Linfield had something going on. He's managing Linfield now in the Irish League. And... Uh... He's definitely, uh, he's he's very much at the top of the list, I would say, of, of players I would be very, very, very keen to speak to. And now that there's no football, there's plenty of time to speak to these people. And there are very few excuses for them not to speak to us. So hopefully that's one that I can make happen. Um, it, in terms of cult heroes, if there are players that people listening would really like us to speak to, um, and questions that you've always wanted to ask them or have answered, then please do make suggestions. Um, you've got you've got quite an, a niche one coming up. You don't have to reveal who it is, Joe, but you've got an interview that you're quite excited about, haven't you? Yeah, I don't mind really t- saying who it is. Probably, um, it's probably about as close to David Sommer as you can get, actually, which would make me sound really weird. Um, but I'm going to talk to Miller, hopefully, in the next sort of few days. He's over in... York um, after his he sort of ended his career in MLS but he was someone who um, again sort of had a very short time at Leeds United but um, I think a lot of the fans will remember him fondly he struggled to get into the team a lot of the time but he scored some some vital goals and it was saying earlier that without 
him, you know, there, there wouldn't have really been a, a January 3rd. He came off the bench in the second round of um, the replay against Kettering um, and scored twice in extra time. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that and just seeing what he's up to. I think he's running sort of like a soccer school in, in America and things like that. So, um, someone who I'm, you know, looking forward to, to sort of seeing what his memories are and what he, you know, cherished because he had, you know, he had a chance to, I think he got drafted in the MLS um, by Toronto, but turned them down sort of a guaranteed contract to come to to England and manage to break into to the Leeds United team, which is, you know, quite a, an interesting story. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, just for for the listeners' sake, because right at the start of that spiel, when you said his name, it glitched, so no one will have heard it. Uh, it was Mike Grella. Um, oh, shit. I'd let people guess. <laughs> but I didn't I didn't have the heart. You were so enthused about your, your interview and so passionate about the subject matter that I just felt, and also I don't like to interrupt, um, some, some of us, <laughs> don't like don't like to interrupt. So uh, I just thought I'd let you I'd let you go on. Um, yeah, we have a few other interview ideas in the pipeline. Uh, one I did this week, Dylan Kerr. I really enjoyed that because I knew Dylan a little bit from when he was at Chesterfield and when I was covering Chesterfield. Um, and uh, he's he's a man who Vinnie Jones nicknamed Legend uh, when he was at Leeds United. He, he didn't he played twenty games for Leeds because he couldn't get in the side because Tony Dorigo etc were on the scene um, but he had some great stories to tell including standing in a bathtub in South Africa with three chickens that had been beheaded wearing nothing but his boots um, which is not the, oh, kind of it's not the kind of story you hear very often um, but he's managed in Kenya, he's managed in Tanzania, he's managed in uh, Vietnam he's back in South Africa for the fourth time in his career um, at the minute uh, they're all locked down as well, as it happens. Um, but it was great to catch up with him and get his story. And hopefully we'll be able to shed some light on some others uh, who maybe haven't had the recognition or credit or limelight over the years. Some lesser known players. Um, i trying to think what else we've got coming up. We've got a bit of a backgrounder on Bryce Hosanna to come. Uh, I spoke to his dad. Quite an interesting story, actually. An interesting background. Um and we also have quite a big signing coming for the YEP, who'll be uh, Touchwood riding on Fridays, but we'll not announce that one just yet. Um, I think all that's left to say is that we, I put out a tweet yesterday asking Leeds fans to uh, slide into my DMs and pay tribute, <laughs> to pay tribute or say thank you to those Leeds fans they know or loved ones they know in the NHS, working selflessly on all our behalf at the minute, or key workers, people who are doing selfless work, putting themselves uh, in the line of fire when it comes to this pandemic. Um, people that you'd like to pay tribute to, people that you think it would give them a little buzz or a little bit of a morale boost if they saw their name in print uh, or on our website. So if you haven't done that as yet and you can think of someone, someone springs to mind, please do, and we will give them their due credit and the recognition they deserve, which is the very, very least we can do at a time when so many are doing so much for the rest of us. Um, I think, Joe, that's about it for this week. So I will bid you farewell and we'll reconvene next week and maybe we'll talk about players that we hate. Do you have any in particular already? Um Scott Brown springs to mind straight away. But, uh, <laughs> I should have even, I should have known that before. 
asking that question. You should have known. And also, Leeds fans, if you have players that you, that you hate or love to hate, players that just players that you would love to have seen play for Leeds, but whenever they were playing against Leeds, you just couldn't stand them. Um, there's been a few this season, I think, that I've got under Leeds fans' skin a little bit that we can talk about. Nicklers and agitators. Um, like Naki Wells. Yeah, for one. How much, would, how much would you loathe Alioski or Ailing if you were an opposition fan? Um, yeah, Alioski probably um, quite a lot. I don't know. It's, I, don't know I don't want to say the term, but it's all that shit housing, isn't it? So <laughs> that, that, I think someone like Robbie Savage jumps out when he was at like Derby playing Leeds a lot because he would wind up with fans. But when you think about it, it was all quite, quite good fun. And without those sort of pantomime villains, football could be quite boring sometimes, couldn't it? So, um, yeah, I'll have to get my thinking hat on. I'm sure there's plenty over the years for Leeds to, to get into. Great stuff. All right, thanks very much for joining us on the Inside Ellen Road podcast. This was episode 85.